Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Mitch and Andrew to explore what EthPrize is and what it takes to build a block explorer. Today, we're sitting with Mitch Kozalski, who is the director of product at EthPrize, and Andrew Covino, who is the project manager for um, the open source EVM block explorer at POA Network. Hi, guys. Do you guys want to kick off by quickly introducing yourselves? Absolutely. I'll start. I am Mitch Kozalski. I am the director of, of product for ETHPRIZE, which is an initiative that focuses on pain points in the Ethereum ecosystem and bounties out of bounties to, to address those pain points. And I'm Andrew Curvino. Uh, I'm the project manager on uh, POA Network's uh, open source EVM block explorer. Um, actually, we just rebranded it to Block Scout, um, which is an open source block explorer for the Ethereum ecosystem. Very cool. And the, the uh, first um, ETH prize bounty. Let's start out a little bit about uh, ETH prize. What is ETH prize? So, ETH prize. Let's start from the beginning. Um, it came out of a lot of different interviews uh, with big props to Robbie Bent um, and Cena, formerly of Truebit. Uh, Andy um, from Status helped out a lot, and Parker Place, uh, now of uh, Consensus, also helped with doing a lot of these developer interviews. And so the purpose of these interviews was sometimes if you read you know, crypto Twitter or the blogosphere, the perception of what people are actually using and the reality what, of what they really are is, is quite different. Um, so this was try, trying to get to the heart of it, talking to core researchers in, in the space, developers who are working on you know, popular dApps that are being used, and figuring out what people are actually using and what pain points they have in developer tooling, scalability, things of that nature. When you say using, what do you mean by using? Like the tools they're using or the, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the first questions, the tools they're using and often case uh, the tools they're not using. So a lot of these folks come in from Web2 background where a lot of these things, you know, are pretty well established. And that's the <laughs> that's the common phrase that people say is that, you know, we're at within blockchain space. We're at 1994 as far as technology, 1998 as far as excitement. And uh, I found that's that's relatively true. Yeah. Is it 98 or is it uh, 2000? I can't remember. It's been a minute. <laughs> how how far on the on the hype cycle have we have we gone yet? Yeah. So regarding these interviews, I I, I find them really interesting. I, I read the reports that have come out of it, and I was actually part of the interviews as well. And we've had other people on this podcast that were part of the interviews. And uh, what would you say are like the general lessons learned from those interviews? Like, what are the main pain points that came out of it, or that were identified through it? So to be general to start and then uh, specific, um, and this kind of, it, it plays right into what the, what the bounties were. So the first two um, ETH prize bounties, uh, which is what POA network Andrew's gonna talk about in a moment of an open source block explorer, that was one of the concerns. So Etherscan is, is all by all means, um, you know, a great tool. However, it's centralized. 
uh, it goes down every now and again. And wouldn't it be great if we had an open source uh, block explorer that the community could take a peek, look at the code underneath it, and you know, fork it if they so choose, and use that uh, in, in their projects. So that was one. So we see that time and again um, beyond just Etherscan. So there's a lot of, you know, to be fair, to get things spun up, you have to have some type of centralization, in, in my opinion, at least. And then you then you work towards some type of minimum viable decentralization, which is which is a term that I, that I I'm not sure who coined that, but I, I really like that. Um, and so then the other one is that I could possibly speak to that is the um, Ethereum package manager, which Piper Merriam of the foundation did a lot of the initial work, and now Truffle is completing the second uh, ETH prize bounty on that. But package managers are, you know, very well established. The node package manager, I think, is one of the big reasons why JavaScript has taken off as a language. And so, yeah, kind of speaking to that, I think it would be great if, if projects, as opposed to like, you know, hunting and pecking and, and, and posting their own contracts up, if they could just have a really nice package manager with um, a nice formal spec, uh, a means for identifying, creating on-chain package registries, and a JavaScript library that allows you to publish and install that. Yeah, that's super duper compelling to me. Um, so I think those those two current ones uh, really speak to what the um, what we got at in the developer interviews. I want to go back a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about the interview process itself. So, like, what what kind of volume is this? What kind of time frame is this? What were you asking people actually? Like, you sort of mentioned you were asking their tools, but like, what was that process of gathering all of this information? Sure. Um, and this kind of refined over time, but towards the end, um, yeah, I'm a nuts and bolts guy. I like to talk specific. So interviews, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and 15, hour and 30, if we're really getting some great info and people want to share. Asking questions, you know, obviously the starter, who are you? What are you working on? What are the tools, libraries, frameworks that you use? Um, how do you handle testing? Which um, each security has kind of been spun up out of that. And that's another one of Robbie Bent's brain children um, that we can probably talk about in a little bit. We should also have Robbie on this podcast at some point. You definitely should have Robbie on this podcast. Uh, and other bounties that, that once we had the initial two bounties spun up, and I could talk a little bit about the ones that we're currently spinning up uh, in a moment. And yeah, what tools don't exist? I'm not sure if I, if I talked about that. But yeah, things that they, they would like to see. Nice. And then I have another question just about this concept. So like, why do you call it ETH prize? Why prize? Like, where did that? So like, I understand the concept of like, you're interviewing the community, you're trying to like get to the the meat of like what is needed. But where like, this is almost this is a very kind of different way of presenting it than you'd usually see, I feel. Why prize? Absolutely. So I think when you look traditionally in, 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 in blockchain, we've seen some really good grants. But if, if you give some, some folks just a lot, lot of money and without like a nice carrot to kind of to work towards, um, then it's, it's difficult. So in addition to having these bounties that are paid out upon delivery of, um, and Andrew once again can speak to this, uh, we, we can we talk about what the POA networks are working hard on. Um, we also want to provide some support to the team, uh, the very, very lightest uh, project management touch. Um, but as well as trying to get connections, trying to get people uh, excited about, about these projects, people using these projects. And, and blockchain hype is a dirty word, right? Mm. But there's something to be said for marketing and, and letting folks know what you're working on and integrating and letting them know these great projects. And so that's why you chose Prize? Because it was just kind of cool? 
Uh, yeah, and, and to be clear, I, I didn't, I oh, didn't choose, didn't choose it. it, but I, was, I joined a little bit afterwards, but I think that I was one of the ideas. Um, and to, to dig into that a little bit, this, the bounty concept is not like a traditional Google X bounty where there's like off to the races and you have like 10 people going and then only one or a small handful of people eventually get, get some payout and a lot of folks don't. Um, and, and so I'm going to, Robbie Benz, ears are really going to be read after this because I'm going to, he has a concept of a, a passive bounty versus an active. And so with ETH Prize, we went out and kind of talked to these people in the community. And a lot of these folks had done significant work on this stuff already. So for example, Piper Merriam of the foundation had already had like a B1 of the, of the ETH PM. Uh, but it, it, to get it to like really production ready, ready code and to have, you know, it's, it's quite a bit of work to make stuff that's really nice to be open source digestible by the community. Uh, so we already were talking to these basically, you know, content experts and just identifying the best teams to address these pay points, pain points, only taking, you know, one of them and then providing them as much support as possible and trying to avoid duplication of efforts as well as spec work because spec work just, oh, you know, I hate it. Um, and that's kind of, uh, what the um, the active bounting approach that that we've taken that I think we've had some good ah time. so you're actually you seek out these groups a little bit more it's not just like hey everybody should compete for this prize but rather it's like hey this is something that might be interesting for you exactly yeah okay. so that's why we're going we're pounding the pavement it's a phrase that I just like like to say all the time <laughs> going to networking events you know um, we'll be in I'll be in Berlin and nice. and then China and. San Francisco and, and just kind of going to all these events and figuring out what people's real, real pain points are, which is a natural extension of, of the interviews. It's, it's, it's the same idea. And I, I feel like from our standpoint, um, it, like for us, and I think for uh, the package manager project, it was, it was something we were already building. And then they, yeah. you know, ETH Prize came in and really helped us with it, really connected the community with what we were trying to build um, and just made it work that much better. This is probably pretty helpful for people who might be building and listening to this. Like, so you, I mean, I guess a question would come then, like, how would a team, so if they are building something, how would they get the ETH prize attention? Like, are you looking, are you actively going out and scouting for the people who are solving the problems that you put in there? Or are you letting them come to you? Like, how is that connection being made? Both. I'm, I'm, I'm very active. I, I like to go to all these events. Um, and then also talk to a lot of people that go to a lot of events, but reach out to me. I'm at Mitch, M-I-T-C-H underscore Kosowski, K-O-S-O-W-S-K-I, the long Polish name. <laughs> I think I spelled it right. That's, yeah, that's a Twitter. That's a, that's a telegram. Hit me up and let's yeah. chat. We'll definitely put this in the show notes too, so somebody can just click towards your Twitter. Oh, that's, that's good. That'll be that, helpful. That's a big value. Right? <laughs> cool. Um, one thing I'd like to touch on as well. So one of the, the idea of kind of developing community and I won't say that I think, I think that others in, in, in the space, you know, do this generally well, but I think at ETH prize, we, we pride ourselves on this. So there's, there's a few different things. One, we're currently uh, doing synchronous communication, providing asynchronous communication, and then also live streams. And so I'll talk about what we spun up for open source web3 design uh which is a group on telegram hopefully moving the status soon oh yeah uh, where, yeah i think i'm part of that kind of, i think i was part of that for a while actually i liked that when that came out it's so necessary yep cool 
it's still active. Get back in there. We've got another live stream on, on this Friday. Uh, but it's a really nice communication tool um, to have people kind of synchronously talk about common pain points um, and then being able to, to chat with each other. Um, and then asynchronously, once we have a topic that's kind of reached ahead, we move to ETH research or, you know, mm. the uh, Ethereum magicians and then kind of document that as part of a forum. And then we also have to have these like bi-weekly live streams where you kind of bring people on. It's like, hey, Gitcoin, you know, or hey, Civil, let's get on here. Let's take us through a, a flow and let's have the community kind of digest this. What works really well, what, what, what doesn't. Um, and by providing that community, it's everything. Like, I think that's one of the, the best part of, of parts of Ethereum. It's got a super duper active community and it, providing that feedback to projects, to ETH, ETH price projects, I think is a really big value add um, for, 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 for our initiative. It sounds like you're kind of filling a gap here between something like Gitcoin is great for putting bounties on specific issues on existing projects where it's like, we want this bug fixed or we want this feature added to this existing code base. Uh, and then you mentioned like Google X bounties, which are these pie in the sky kind of like moonshot things where, uh, you know, manage everything yourself, build the hyperloop kind of thing. Uh, and there's this huge gap in between where there needs to be a project created more or less from scratch, but we want to be able to provide a community around it. We want to like, you want to see it done in, in a way that's, you know, coherent with the Ethereum community being open source is one of those things, which is not necessarily something you'd get if you just put out a bounty for, for a goal to be accomplished. Uh, so it, it sounds like you're kind of in this middle ground there. Yeah, that's I, that's exactly it. Um, and I just to build on that, I think it's a little bit targeted. And generally, we have a good idea of, of what the teams are uh, out there. Of course, yeah, you know, brand new ones come, you know, every day. But how many Andrew Cravinos are in the world? You know, just one. <laughs> and so we want to we want to chat with him. We want to see what his team is up to. And the idea is is that. I think, you know, probably POA Network would have, you know, they possibly would have open sourced this a little bit down the line. And, you know, it probably would be really, you know, it's a great team. It probably have quite a few features. But I think by providing, you know, this quarter million bounty, it'll be a little bit more fully featured. It'll be delivered a little bit uh, quick, uh, more quickly. And, you know, time is everything. Andrew, maybe you could speak a little bit um, about being on the other side of this. Um, you like, I'm just kind of curious how you learned about ETH Prize and like how that happened, how that project came to be. Sure, um, it was, it, and I, I can't exactly remember how we connected. I believe it was our technical lead talked to Robbie at a, conf, uh, a conference, um, and we were connected that way. And once they made that initial talk. Um, it's something that was, you know, greatly needed in the community was an open source block explorer. So I think it was an easy fit for what ETHPRIZE was doing. It was definitely something, you know, us as a, as a, uh, a side chain uh, of Ethereum, um, we don't have access to Etherscan or any other full featured block explorer. It's a pain point that many other private networks and side chains forks go through. Um, so we needed to come up with a solution and ETHPRIZE was able to help us out um, in this area. Um, it was something that we would have built, you know, we needed it for our network, but, um, it, you know, providing the resources as far as community on um, the $250,000 grant, it just, it was part of the solution that helped us complete the, uh, our version one release, which will be happening in a couple uh, weeks here. 
um, which is blockscout.com. Uh, shameless nice. plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been great working with Mitch and ETHPRIZE. Um, part of the um, situations where as a project manager, be, having access, uh, Mitch put together a group of uh, knowledgeable people in the area, such as so he's it's helped out in places with um, part of, you know, running nodes and block reorganizations, and just different technical aspects that um, people who are currently running, you know, uh, block explorers for their own private chains and so on and so forth. He's put these people together and really uh, provided support to ourselves and other people that are building uh, open source block explorers. I'd love to take all the credit for that. Uh, but Griff Green, as, as we know, who has a vicious temper, uh, was a huge a proponent of, of all that open source block explorers. And indeed, um, for ETHPRIZE, for spinning up open source Web3 design, we used a lot of uh, what he developed um, to, to, to kind of build on that. So what I'm getting from this too, is it's sort of like you have an idea, you put out a bounty or you, yeah, you put out the prize. You basically say like, okay, join, you get a team, but it almost sounds like out of that, there's these other subgroups spinning up. You're putting together these groups around specifically like block explorers. And then that in itself maybe forms like a small it seems like that could in itself form a small subgroup that could start developing things together. Um, was that intentional or is that like, is this just like an organic result of this group or like, why, why is that happening with this specific project? Yeah, that was intentional. Um, and I think we're really standing on the shoulders of, of, of giants here. Robbie has kind of uh, proved this, uh, as I said, Griff Green, uh, to be clear, who does not have it, uh, <laughs> it uh, kind of proved this concept and we just saw it work really well. And we just kind of refined, refined it. Um, one of the things that, you know, Telegram is not a great, uh, the best messaging app, but we found that, okay, this is, this is pretty good. We, you know, some groups we use Gitter and it's like, okay, well, this is not as, as, mm -hmm. as easy for to get community involvement. That's one of the small things that we kind of, um, that we kind of learned um, uh, moving along the way. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how it works out. And for open source web three design, I've, I led the first four community calls, but, you know, it's time for me to hit the road. I'm I'm letting the community take charge of that. I'm giving them access to my Zoom account, which may or may not be a good idea, and they're going to be leading uh, that from from now on. I, I will be the the host uh, of Last Resort, but I, I think it's it's important to avoid a very explicitly rent seeking behavior, um, and so that's something that I try to think about a lot uh, with, with anything I do. I have a question, a little bit about like the top of this, so like. Who comes up with the bounties exactly, and who is funding it? That's not been made completely clear. I feel sure. Yeah, I, I probably should. The stakeholders aren't going to be happy about that. Um, <laughs> so we have um, some partners, which are uh, Zero X, uh, Status, the Ethereum Community Fund, uh, Toshi before it was Coinbase Wallet, so now I guess Coinbase Wallet, uh, the Ethereum Foundation, and so that's kind of the process. So with the team we kind of go through the interviews, which I mentioned a few times, but now I need to mention the name, which is etherport.info. And huge shout out to Andy Tudop of Status um, with his team there, just put together an excellent, excellent site. Mm. Um, over 100 developer interviews, just primo market research if you want to get into the space. And it's all free. How about that? So then we use those stakeholders and yeah, we kind of refine the thesis. We, we do these interviews. We talk with folks in the space and then things start coming along. 
And so I'll talk about something that I haven't spoken about yet in this interview, which is education. So one of the big things uh, that was brought up time and again is that getting started up and getting spun up in the space is super duper painful. Even if you're a senior engineer, you're working Google, Facebook, wherever, Airbnb, if you have that great Web2 experience, you still have to hunt and peck to, to find those educational resources. You got to look at this Medium article over there. You got to join this Discord group. You got to talk to this Finks and answer three riddles, et cetera, et cetera. So then we, we talked to the stakeholders. We kind of refined the approach. And one of the winners of the ETH Denver hackathon, which is called Block Street Then, but now it's called Chainshot, uh, is, is now spun up as an ETH prize bounty of uh, 35 grand. And they're delivering um, some really excellent uh, content on with a, uh, understanding Viper, um, as well as understanding Merkle trees. And Chainshot is just a really great, great project. Uh, you can kind of develop the code and then download it afterwards and uh, kind of deploy your own, your own contracts and have a really good fundamental understanding, which is a nice gap between understanding, like getting onboarding those Web2 developers into the Web3 space. I actually, so I'm going to, I want to talk more. I mean, education is obviously something we care about a lot. I feel like the work that we are doing with Zero Knowledge is a little bit, we always think of it like a podcast. We we both come from startup land and kind of moved into the blockchain space. And we definitely like are trying to bring with us the people that we know from that space. Um, So I think that's a super important thing. But just before we move into that, I just, because I want to go back to the question before, um, I just, I wasn't entirely clear on like how, who, like the decision making. I just want to sort of wrap that topic up. So you sort of suggested there was a few groups that get together and they think of some ideas or they don't Mm -hmm. think of some ideas. Like, I'm just curious where, where do those ideas actually come from? And then once it's decided, how do the funds get distributed? So yeah, where the ideas come from, is yeah, just just go doing those interviews and, and then talking to folks and then figuring out pain points, and then it kind of gets formulated. You, you, the team gets together. It's like, okay, what are people actually uh, you know worried about? You know, scalability comes up, how to deploy comes up, and and hopefully we're going to have some really good news with that coming down the line. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I can't speak to that at the moment. Um, and so we kind of we kind of do that, and then we present to the stakeholders and. Different stakeholders um, have have different strengths and weaknesses, and have different interests in, in, in funding. And so, from there, we kind of like say, okay, which one is most interesting to you? And then from there, we kind of secure the funding. Is it is it kind of like Giveth, where like one group will kind of like is there sponsors for specific projects within your stakeholders? Say there's a project that like Status really wants to get behind. Like, would they actually be? proactive in that would they be funding it like how does how do they work with that project then from them we wanted to make it um as much set it and forget it as possible so you put up the funds which is a bounty to be clear so um things have to be delivered which is which is a really nice um you know a nice incentive for the projects uh but and then we have you know check in every now and again with them but we want to have them not not provide a ton of overhead for them to worry about i think as somebody who's you know been on the receiving end of ETH Prize. From my point of view, it's been the it's been projects that are already going to build something because trying to give a bounty for a problem and then go find like a group of people and team seems like a very difficult task. Um, just from my perspective, it seems like that's how it's it's kind of happened um, through the rest of the ETH prizes. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And 
something that I see as a problem with grants and that sort of comes up over and over again as well is that if you declare like, okay, we're going to give a grant for this amount for this type of project, and then they go hunting for people to actually do it, how do you vet those people before you give money? And and it's like, that's universally an extremely hard problem. That's basically what VCs are for. If there was a good way to vet who's going to build something valuable, uh, then, uh, you know, VCs would have a hundred percent hit rate. Uh, so it's hard. And if you're instead of like saying, okay, here's a bunch of money to do this thing. I hope you successfully do it. You're saying, okay, you already did this. Here's a bunch of money for it. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you kind of, it's obviously easier to, to reward good things. We did have, I mean, we've spoken a little bit about this before though. Like, I mean, this is actually just like the challenge of grants. Um, it's, I mean, I think it's amazing to fund those projects, but like, does ETHPRIZE have any vision for, like, what happens after that initial funding? Because some of these things need maintenance. They're not necessarily going to be turned into businesses. Is there any sort of thinking around that? Like, what do you do post-PRIZE? There is a, has been a little bit, and I think we're moving more to that direction. But that, that's the thing that's, that's very interesting, right? So if you, do, if you develop a SaaS, you know, someone's got to pay for those servers. And so we're, we're moving towards projects which are kind of very much decentralized. So a lot of them, you know, don't have central servers, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of them do. That kind of figures into our, um, our calculus a little bit. And I, perhaps Andrew could speak to that as well, because, you know, we have our, our, our initial bounty, but I think the POA network is very proud of, of what they developed with BlockScout, as they should be, and has, you know, a, a big-time roadmap to, to deliver that. And I, I guess for them to, to put up the, the, their own capital to do it, that's big for their brand because it's a quality uh, product. And so, and it gets people talking about their network. Uh, but maybe Andrew, if you want like to speak to that. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, building something like a block explorer um, after, you know, the funding stage. Um, we, again, we do have a very long roadmap that's, you know, years out. Um, but just to run a node every month for Ethereum mainnet, we'll be supporting uh, five networks to start, possibly six, which is Ethereum mainnet, um, Coven, Robston, um, our core network uh, for POA, and our testnet Sokol, um, and possibly Ethereum Classic. But just to run a node for um, Ethereum mainnet, you're talking $20,000 a month. Um, so, and that's just one network. So it's a long cost that we're willing to take. Um, it, but it's, and again, as I was saying before, it's the community and the support that ETHPRIZE for us brought. This is, we were going to take these costs. Um, and, you know, we have 20, 20 developers working on the project right now, um, uh, which, again, I'll uh, talk about a little bit about what we're building. But it's built in Elixir um, on the Erlang VM. Um, so it's, it, our developers, we have the founder of uh, Elixir, um, has been work, uh, participating on the project. The founder of Phoenix Framework, um, uh, Chris McCord, has built our indexer for the Block Explorer. So these are all high-profile names that have been contributing to the project, um, and it's going to be a long cost over you know over the long term, um, but. Uh, hopefully, there'll be other prizes that maybe we can look for in the future for future improvements, um, EIPs from um, Ethereum, and so on and so forth. So 
Um, it's just part of the costs going forward. I don't, yeah, I don't think this, this is necessarily like an ETH price specific issue or question because this is really for all, all the groups that are funding through grants or through sort of these um, bounties, like how do you maintain, how do you keep going? Um, but I think it's, I mean, obviously this project, what's great about it is it sounds like you guys were going to, you were already set to spend this anyway, which is super cool. But I do think, I mean, I think that it's a question that Every group, I mean, I think there are a lot of groups are starting to ask themselves and should continue to ask themselves. And it's, it's something that the, that the entire ecosystem is going to have to figure out because, like, there will be maintenance going forward. And I think, a lo- like, a lot of these projects, some of these projects could be turned into businesses that are self-sustaining somehow, but some of them can't. So, yeah, we're going to have to find something to do about that. Absolutely. Jumping into uh, what you actually are building... What is Block Scout? What's what's the elevator pitch for it? It's what I usually ask. <laughs> sure. So um, as a sidechain POA network, um, we're a scalability solution for Ethereum. Um, as I mentioned before, we don't have um, access to an Ether scan. So we needed to create um, a full featured open source. Well, we decided to make it open source, but Block Explorer um, for um, our chain. Um, and we decided when we were going to build this, why not allow this to be open source for any EVM chain, not only ourselves for Ethereum, uh, but it could be any private network side chain for um, to have access to this code in this full featured block explorer. So it's it's really intended to be a full replacement for Etherscan in some sense. Like there shouldn't be anything that you can do on Etherscan that you can't do with Boxcat. Exactly. Um, we we looked at Etherscan and that was our first goal was to replicate Etherscan. We wanted users as soon as they see ours to have a, a very similar vision um, of where things are located, um, how you operate on Etherscan, and then we wanted to improve upon that. So that's what our version one release in a few weeks will show is we're just about where Etherscan is, but with a few improvements. This is a bit of the sort of going back. I wanna I wanna make sure that we understand why. Like why why are you creating something like this? Why does it need to be open source? What does that actually benefit? What does it do? Sure. When you look at Etherscan and you look at your account balance, how do you know your account balance is what it, what they say it is? Mm. You don't. You, you, there's no way, and and that's the problem is that it's it's closed source, it's centralized, and they can tell you whatever balance they want you to see. But with open source, you can actually take a look at the code, deploy your own explorer, and within a few minutes, be able to verify that the data we're showing. Um, is in fact accurate, and and that's the difference. This is this is a, a why ETH Prize is so interested in this because everybody depends on EtherScan, and that is a major, you know, failure point. Yeah, it's just a massive yeah. So when we have a really nice with Block Scout, once that's live, yeah, this will this will really uh, greatly lift all the boats in the ecosystem. I think there are several factors here that people usually don't realize, and. Um, one of them, which you already mentioned, is that while Etherscan is great for the mainnet, if you're running a private testnet locally, you don't really have much option. There is this other project called Etherchain Lite, I think, and uh, it is an open source block explorer, but it's very, very basic. It doesn't at all have the same feature completeness as Etherscan. 
Um, and and it's kind of tricky to run like on a POA network. And you, while you can do it, it's sort of like it's just kind of tricky to get going. And that's one issue that you that you kind of like can't have a good explorer for anything but mainnet uh, but there's also like the, the the centralization problems that you're talking about they're also serious issues but like with that comes things like ether scan caches results they don't have like you know super up-to-date data all the time and if you're a power user that like if you're you know doing a lot of stuff on ethereum then you will actually want really live data and um you know if you gotta like wait for ethereum for etherscan to update to its latest block or like release its caches or whatever it kind of like eh, doesn't feel very good <laughs> exactly and that actually brings up another point is that etherscan holds a lot of data that isn't available on a node you can't query a node to obtain things like smart contracts um you know, a lot of people, and that's that's how we're operating right now, is somebody uh, deploys a contract, they go on EtherScan, and they verify it. So other people can check the code, make sure that it's legitimate, whatever they happen to be deploying. Um, but this data is held by EtherScan. It's n- nobody can verify that that information is actually accurate. So that's something that was actually brought up by the community that um, EtherRise put together, was that we want to see these ABI. We want to see these contracts, but to offer them to the community and whether through an API or through a repo, um, that way other people who deploy, uh, uh, you know, either our Explorer or another type uh, machine can verify that these smart contracts are in fact accurate and match the bytecode. But if somebody was running a full node, they could verify a lot of this stuff. This is like, you're saying, no, no. still not. Oh wow! No, so like the the actual code from a contract doesn't get uploaded anywhere when you deploy something to Ethereum. You only update upload the the compiled binary. Mm-hmm. So EtherScan has this function where you can you know upload the the actual code pre compilation and say okay, and then like EtherScan on their side will compile it, compare it to the bytecode that's on chain, say yes, this is the source code. Uh, and so you can verify that this is the code that was that generates this compiled binary uh, through their UI, but um, you can't really like because it never like the network never actually sees that code. You you can't do it with just a node. Have you have you involved EtherScan at all? Like, is there is is there a reason why you didn't just sort of like talk to them and try to get them to outsource their code? Oh, we we attempted to, and again, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but uh, we, we attempted. We uh, we went to them and we asked, "Hey, can you please deploy a version for POA network?" Um, and they flat out, I guess there was some type of negotiation, and then they just flat out said no. Okay. At, you know, once we launched, so that was at that point in December, January of this past year, where we needed to make a big decision, and we decided that we were going to make our own. EtherScan replica, but for the community, um, something that anyone can deploy. And I think that's fair enough. I mean, this is their business that they have to put right on the table. Like they are, this is a for-profit thing for them and it's super costly to run, et cetera. So I can totally understand why, you know, they obviously want to protect their IP and run this as a business and that's totally fine. And 
I think that running something as a business allows you to do things that you can't do in an open source environment. So there's benefits to having both things in the world. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and I want to be very, very clear that, you know, the ecosystem would not be anywhere near it is right now, if, if not for um, Etherscan providing, providing their services. So, yeah, so this isn't a meant to, what we're trying to do here is just provide a super nice alternative. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I didn't want this to come off as, you know, hating on Etherscan. They, we wouldn't be here without them, but it's and they've provided a great benchmark um, for um, uh, the community and for everyone else to provide an open source um, alternative. So I want to dig in a little bit on the technical side of building a block explorer, because I know like being a node developer, I know roughly what goes into what's required to pull that information out of the node. And I know it's not easy. What would you say is the hardest thing about building a block explorer? 100% the indexer. Um, we've had several iterations of our indexer. Um, we started by just saying, well, let's get this data as fast as possible. Um, and then we saw a pain point. Well, internal transactions are an extremely costly call. So we said, okay, let's divide this out. Um, let's you know, make the processes uh, process asynchronous, fetch all the blocks, transactions, transaction receipts, and then on the back of logs as well. And then on the back end, go through and fetch the internal transactions and eventually it'll catch up. So we found that to be a horrible solution as well, um, because we decided our UI, we want to make have real-time events. So if, a, if there's an internal transaction that occurs, your balance, you'll see the transaction come in, but your balance doesn't update right away. So we said, wait a minute, let's, let's start this over. Um, and we ended up actually building two indexers. We have a real-time indexer that um, fetches blocks transactions, transaction receipts, logs, and internal transactions uh, synchronously. And then our Genesis indexer, basically, so you could deploy an Ethereum mainnet, and within a couple hours, it goes backwards. So it goes from the um, tip of the chain down to Genesis. So you get a lot of relevant data within a couple hours um, and, not, uh, and not have to let the entire chain sync into your database. Um, so using that solution, it was a long process, but we finally found that this works best for what we're trying to build and what we think the community um, would like to see for a deployed block explorer that they could do themselves. So how does this thing um, run on someone's machine? So like, do you set up a separate database, like a Postgres database that you like inject information into as you're syncing or how does this work? Sure. Yes. So we use, um, uh, again, we use uh, Elixir on the Erlang VM and Elixir and Postgres um, go hand in hand. They, they work very well together. Um, Elixir can run hundreds of thousands of processes concurrently. Um, so it, it just made sense to use Postgres. So that's what we're running. And yes, a user can, um, if they're, deploying on their Mac or, you know, local machine, then yes, it just spin up a Postgres database and uh, the blockchain data just syncs right into their database. And you're doing this syncing through the commonly available RPC API, so I assume. Yes. So we um, utilize Parity, of course, um, being a POA network um, with authority rounds, Parity just made sense. So basically we, you can, 
input in RPC endpoint. Um, we will have IPC uh, eventually. It's uh, on our roadmap coming up pretty soon. Uh, but you just uh, in our configuration file, you can input your RPC endpoint and let the start the um, indexer, and all the data will sync into the database. The biggest uh, bottleneck in a node is um, the local database for updating the the state tree. So when you get a new block, you have to run through all the transactions in that block, run all of the code in all of those transactions, and update all the right places in the state tree to produce the new state after this block. Uh, and this is a bottleneck on on RocksDB, which we use on the back end, which is like an embedded database that's super, super duper fast, way faster than Postgres. So how do you like update the state in po Postgres without having to do this tree magic? So we rely on the nodes. And again, this is another centralization problem. Um, we're relying on parity um, to provide us with accurate, accurate data. And, you know, we could in the future, possibly we do support Geth as well, but, and we're also building um, our own Elixir client um, called Mana. So we could, you know, check multiple sources in order to provide accurate data, but we are not um, going through the entire state tree. All right. So instead of like trying to store the state tree or like construct a state tree in Postgres, you're... Um, basically querying the information that you're interested in from Parity that has already constructed that state tree. So you're not duplicating that work. Yes, correct. Makes sense. So what's on the roadmap? Uh, sort of short-term future, where do you see this uh, project going? Sure. So we will release in the next couple of weeks, uh, blockscout.com. Um, you can check out probably more information on our GitHub um, or Medium for POA Network. Um, also probably check out EthPrize. We'll probably have a, some type of notification that goes out when we uh, release BlockScout. Um, but after our version one release, um, we will be supporting for like our version two, other languages for our contract verification and all the other functionality around contracts in Viper, WebAssembly. Um, right now, we are one of the only block explorers to support ERC721 tokens as, as well as ERC20, but we'll be supporting many other token types as you know these EIPs um, you know, move forward. So there's a very long roadmap around EIPs and sharding. And, um, you know, POA network is known for our bridges, ERC 721, ERC 20 bridges, uh, native to native bridges. So providing a block explorer that supports bridges is another big um, roadmap topic that we um, will be supporting. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we're heading in our version two, which will probably be early next year or, you know, late this year. Cool. So to bring it back to this sort of overarching topic of this episode and that ETH prize, maybe we can talk about a few more things about that. Um, I don't know if we mentioned it, but I know that there's something called ETH security, and I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, to be clear, this is not supported by ETH prize, but ah. it, uh, Robbie Bent uh, spun this out as, as well, as well as Kevin Seagraves. And I think there's a handful of other, other folks that are working really hard uh, to do that. They kind of did follow that same game plan. They have um, synchronous communication on a Telegram channel where you see a lot of folks uh, from you know, all the top uh, security firms in the space. And I don't want to name any because I'm going to forget some. But they're, they're communicating there. They're doing an unconference event, which is the day before ETH Berlin on, on the 6th, which I think uh, 
conflicts with your guys' nope, conference. No, doesn't. Oh, it's the day it's after. It's the day after. Yeah. Oh, it's the day after. Uh, but um, yeah, so that'll be a really good conference. I think that'll be a, the, it's been a very fertile ground um, for, I think, some appropriate uh, bounties, possibly for ETH Prize, but also just reading these things and saying, hey, Ethereum Foundation, this, this could be interesting. Or uh, Consensus Ventures has spun out uh, Tachyon uh, for, and they have some open source stuff. Hey, this, could, this might be interesting. Um, so yeah, that that's a very very interesting project, and uh, look looking forward to the continued results of it. I was actually part of the origin story of that. I think it's a pretty funny story of how like it, it developed and moved between people because it was originally like me and Brian Eisenbach talked at EdCon yeah. the beginning of this year, like trying to, because it was the UX Unconf, which we yeah. have a podcast episode on around that event. Frederick, I was standing with you guys as we yeah. were talking about that. <laughs> we were like starting to talk about this, like, <laughs> oh, let's run like an Unconf thing for security. And like he came up with the name SmartCon, which I thought was really funny, <laughs> but no one else thought was good. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, yeah, like we kind of uh, moved on, didn't really touch uh, much on like didn't really follow up like neither of us had the time or wherewithal to like really pull it together i think and then finally alexandra who's like the the com a comms person a parody got me and bryant in touch with robbie and then robbie like took hold of it and just ran with it and did, made something great of it so yeah they had the unconference event which is the day before um beef berlin and i think there's also a follow-up event being planned for devcon and so when you nice. get these groups together and you have this communication across them, both you know through the old internets as well as people meeting together. There's been some really interesting cross pollination yeah. across teams, so. and it's been growing like incredibly fast. And like it, it got to over a hundred like really deep security auditors, like uh, cool people in in the community got together, and like it grew to a fantastic group really quickly. Nice. Well, I want to say thank you guys for joining us and sharing with us a little bit about ETH Prize, a little bit about this block explorer that POA Network's putting together. And um, I'm glad we touched on ETH security and sort of that initiative. I guess there's also, you also mentioned this web, the UX group. Yeah, open source web 3 design. These are things that I'd really like to share with our, with our community as well. So we're definitely going to try to put links to all of these in the show notes. Yeah, and I just wanted to say thanks so much for uh, covering all this with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>